You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Last week, I just want to catch you up. We have started a series through the book of Ephesians, going verse by verse, looking at every part of this letter that Paul wrote to this early church in what is now like modern day Turkey, if you can imagine that. Last week, uh, we began verse, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And Paul gave us, in that very introduction, a picture of every spiritual blessing that we have in Jesus. If I could summarize, if you're in Jesus, you have no idea how deeply blessed you are. You name it, the blessing is given to you in him. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all do, like, it was really Paul being, being like to us, y'all don't even know. You don't even get it. How good you have it in Jesus. Well, he keeps going. You've been adopted by Christ. You are now an heir of Christ's wealth and his kingdom. You are now participants in the mission of Christ. What Jesus is doing in you people is making a new people for himself. And it's beautiful when it happens. Beginning in verse 15, Paul continues along this line of thinking. Yes, we have all these blessings in Christ and Jesus has made around him a community that is defined and constituted by him and nothing else. And so he begins to pray with the reader in a way, this really elaborate prayer beginning in verse 15, asking God, would you open these people's eyes so that they could see what Jesus has done in them as a community? Would you just let them see? Would you just let them see? I'll warn you just a bit as we continue to wade deeper and deeper into this letter of Ephesians, it gets like weirder and weirder and cooler and cooler at the same time. It's so Intense, And you know when you're studying the Bible right, and you know when you're reading Ephesians right, when as you wade in, as you study, as you spend time patiently soaking in all of these phrases and words and meanings and beauty, you know that when you start to want to praise God, you're reading it right. When you, you can't help but get chills, and maybe you start crying, maybe you just think, God... This is incredible. Maybe it's something as simple as that. You know you're reading it right when you're led to faith, to worship. I hope you see what I mean. Um, and I think you will beginning in verse 15. So let's jump back in right where we left off. Verse 15 says this. For this reason, what reason? Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Remember, Paul is in chains. We can hear the chains rattling as he's writing to this church. And he has heard of this faith community and what Jesus has done with people like you and I in our lives, bringing us together around Jesus, the love that they have for one another. Paul has heard about this community as far away as he is. And he gives thanks unendingly, just repeatedly to the Lord for this community, remembering them in his prayers, he says. How encouraging it must have been to Paul in prison to have heard of this faith community. How, how encouraging must have been for Paul who is by himself, maybe chained to somebody else, but really that's it, to have heard that there are Christians together in community enjoying one another's presence in Jesus. How encouraging that must have been for him. St. Paul asks God in, those, in that vein of thought, in that appreciation. He says, he asks God to show them what he has given them community for. Not just for our mutual joy. It's so good to be with y'all. But you know that the Christian community is actually purposed for something. It's like, it's for something. 
And it's not just your pleasure. And can I tell you, when that community that it's purpose for starts to do that a thing that it's for, it actually is like more pleasurable to be part of the community, in fact. But that's not the point, to be happy, to have like no problems and like we're great friends and everyone's like in wonderful relationships. It gets messy. If you've been a part of this church, it gets messy and that happens. But this community, it doesn't serve our own agendas and it doesn't serve our own appetite for like happiness. That's not the point of it. It is set aside as holy and appointed and purposed by God for something. And Paul asks, God, would you show them what this community is purposed for? I'm going to jump back in in verse 17, but I want you to pay attention to this. Notice the language of the Trinity that's involved in his prayer, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Verse 17 says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He's making an appeal to God. God, would you, you've opened their eyes. Would you give them more of yourself? Would you show them more of who you are in community? Would you, would you just open their eyes of their hearts a little bit more and reveal yourself to them? This is his prayer. And the phrase in verse 18 that we read, the eyes of your hearts, in biblical language, it refers to, it's not some like sentimental inner thing. It, this is in biblical language refers to the whole inward self, the whole being of a person. That our whole selves would receive wisdom of God, would receive this knowledge of him that our whole selves, not just our intellect, not just a deeper affection of our heart, but our bodies, our whole self being revealed to God's self. We tend to think of our Christian faith when we think of our relationship with God. We tend to think of it really intellectually, right, in our head. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of thinking of God. But what Paul has in view here is the spirit of wisdom and revelation, It's the kind of understanding, if you notice, this spirit of wisdom, which comes from God's self, and of revelation, which implies that someone's showing you something that you don't already know. It's it's talking about something a little bit deeper than just our own intellect that we're able to study and acquire knowledge. But it's an understanding that only God can give you. It's an understanding that God possesses that only he can give you, and he's eager to give it to us. Now, I know this may sound kind of heady to some of you guys, like, okay, big deal. Um, This is huge. When you consider this Christian perspective among other perspectives in the world, this is really significant. Christians believe there's, listen, no higher knowledge in the world than the knowledge of God himself. Friends, that's, I mean, you'd get in a fight, right, outside for saying something like this. There's no higher knowledge in the world than the knowledge of God's self. Not science. What? Even science begs for its creator. Not philosophy. No, theology is way outside the reach of where theology can go. Wait, not my inner revelation of like seeking out myself and like whatever. I don't know. There's all kinds of things. No. The queen of all sciences is the knowledge of God. 
There's nothing beyond that. And that understanding that is in the knowledge of God is only God's to give. This is like a radical philosophical claim, I guess you could say. And what I mean by this isn't just an awareness of certain facts. Like, well, I have this systematic theology book on my shelf, Sean. Then if I just like nail that down, master that, then I'm, I've got, no. It's not just a list of facts about the world and how things work, but a knowing that leads us and our lives to a love of God with our whole heart, our whole being. It's a knowledge that leads us to worship, to be with God. And you know what happens? This is a surprising gift. When people come to an understanding of who God is with their whole self, you know who else is affected by this? Their neighbors. Think about that. If you pursue being a good neighbor, and that's a good thing, you'll be an okay neighbor. But if you pursue a whole self-understanding and union with God and Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, you end up becoming a good neighbor. What pours out of your life is Jesus, and that's what people need. This affects the neighborhood. When we love God with our whole heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, we're actually able to love our neighbors as ourselves. So that makes, that's so key. So time out real quick. Why is it important we come to church in the morning? Shouldn't we be out serving the poor? Absolutely, you should serve the poor. But, but you see how the ordering here really matters? That we actually cannot serve others in the poor the way that Jesus would have us serve them apart from a relationship with God. And that has to come first, friends. I know, I know for some of you this is like, ugh, I don't know if I can handle this. And I don't mean this in some sort of snobby, like irritated, in-your-face kind of way. But I'm just saying this, and take it or leave it, but Christians have come to know Jesus and say there's nothing like him. I want to be with him. And Jesus sends us out into the world with him to participate in his work. That is what it looks like to be a Christian. Not just social justice for social justice sake. Not just getting busy and looking like you're, you got your religious game intact. But like coming to union with Jesus and that love that we have with him, it compels us to go into the world to be radically sold out to Jesus. That ordering in Christianity, it absolutely matters. Because we are not called to a cause, we are gathered to a person in Jesus. This community around Jesus that Paul is thanking God that he is experiencing in this Ephesian church has Jesus at its center. There's, there's nothing more central to this community than Jesus. If you think about this, this is just another really radical claim about why we are here. What is your purpose? What is our community's purpose? Your goals as a human being that you have in your life? This is actually touching on those claims where philosophy and really contemporary culture, you could say, says, know thyself, know thyself, get to know yourself, search yourself with the human being at the center of its attention. We're familiar with this, right? This is like status quo out and about right now, where everyone is screaming to place yourself at the center of your life and get to know yourself, know thyself. Only the inspired word which proceeds from the mouth of God has been able to tell us, know God. And he will reveal yourself. He will teach you who you really are. But in scripture, we have this radically different claim that says, know God first. As God reveals more of himself to us, we find that we know ourselves more truly. We actually get to see who we really are only when we see ourselves 
in our creator, only when we see ourselves in light of the resurrection of Jesus, only when we see ourselves in light of Christ. This, we begin to see what Paul is referring to when he says that we would begin to know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is this hope that Paul's referring to? God's call isn't to some meaningless or randomless, like random good thing. It's not to being busy. God's call to you is not to have a successful career. Do you know that? It's not to amass a huge amount of money so you don't have to depend on people later on in your life. That is not God's call to you. Yeah, that's a good one. God's call to you is not to um, like put together a Facebook profile that like is really respectable and speaks up at the right moment, says the right things and does violence to the right people. That is not God's call for you. Friends, there are, there's like, I could go on for like 99 different things that we, people in this room and myself, we entertain as God's call for us. There's like really good news. All of those things would squander our lives. It would just be such a waste because that's actually not your call. That's not your hope. You, you are so precious to God. You have such better work on your hands than all of those things. What is this hope that we are called to? Looking at the whole context of what Paul's saying in this letter, John Stott, Anglican biblical theologian that I love, a hero of mine, he writes this about God's call. God's call was a call to an altogether new life in which we know, love and obey and serve Christ. Enjoy fellowship with him and with each other and look beyond our present suffering to the glory which will one day be revealed. This is the hope to which he has called you. This was in his commentary on these very words of Paul in Ephesians. Can you imagine a people who receive this kind of hope, who actually live into this kind of hope, this calling? Friends, the name for the community that receives that hope and lives into it, the name for that is the church. That's who we are. That's what our community is purposed for to know and love and obey and serve Christ and enjoy the fellowship with Christ and with each other. That's the church. It's not something novel or new or crazy. It's actually just the church. This is us. We just tend to put our hope in other callings. We tend to have a different understanding of ourselves and other people, what our lives are for. We might think that having our hearts enlightened as a Christian means that we can know, love, obey, and serve ourselves in some ways or our own interests, or protecting ourselves from other people. But that's just not who you are, church. That's not the hope to which you were called for, to safeguard yourself, preserve yourself, and pursue your own interests. That's just not the price. You were bought with a price not for that, for something else. Christ has made us into a people with every spiritual blessing in himself. You have been gathered into the life of God and your eyes are being opened to see something totally different, something radically different about who you are and what you're for. That you are purposed for a life in fellowship with Jesus and his people. And not without blessing, but with every spiritual blessing piled on top of that. You are called to a hope and purposed for a life that is capable. Listen to this, friends. You have a life that is capable in Jesus of looking beyond your present suffering, your present challenges, 
the burdens you have on your shoulders right now, and you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And in this church community, you're now living a life that is capable of looking beyond those sufferings. And you're able to see the glory of that day that is coming. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, that hope is ours because Jesus is raised from the dead and he gives us himself even today at this table. That day that we look forward to, that glorious day, isn't something we can like mark on the calendar in our minds and say, you know, someday. Yes, that is a true historic fact of the future. But also that day is like rushed to us at the table. We experience that day in a small way here, now. You don't have to wait, but it's actually come to you as Jesus gives us his own body and blood, as we enjoy his resurrection, and as we are made what we already are, his church. You can hear Paul's heart coming through as he goes on and on praying for these people. If, quote, if they could only see the reality where this is all heading, Paul might say. If they could only see what's coming. If they could only lift their eyes from their self-focused, burdened moment and see this glorious one and this this glorious day that comes for them. Verse 19, the immeasurable greatness, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. In verse 20, we see that this power wasn't some secret, but publicly demonstrated. This isn't some hidden away thing, but Jesus in public display demonstrated his power, this immeasurable greatness of himself when he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God the Father. And this is that last part of the section in Ephesians where Paul is driving this point about there's actually no greater authority or power. All of it, all power, all authority because of his resurrection and his ascension seated at the right hand of God the Father. All power, all dominion belongs to him, to Jesus. There's nothing beyond his power or his authority. There's no problem that you face today that is out of his reach or his grasp. There's no greater name than his. And if anyone uses his power or his authority or his dominion, it's only on loan and they will be held accountable for how it's used. They will be called for an account. All of it belongs to Jesus because he is the only one. There's no other who has conquered evil and death and sin, only Jesus. Now track with me on this last part in verse 22 because this immeasurable greatness, this cosmic authority and power of Christ is now directed to the church. Paul makes this huge grand statement about who Jesus is and then with like laser focus, the church is in his crosshairs. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Which is his body? The fullness of him who fills all in all. What God gives to us, church, church, what God gives to you is the one who is already head of all power, all authority, all dominion, all glory. God gives him to you as the head of your church. It's not Sean, actually. It's Christ. And the only reason, to be honest, we wear these fancy robes is to remind myself and you that Christ is the head of this church. And in Christ, as the head, 
all power, all authority, all dominion is given to us to exercise on behalf of his kingdom for the sake of others in our neighborhood. Jesus, the fullness of God, is given as the head of our church of resurrection and the global church throughout history. We are his body. We're his body. We belong to him. It's no coincidence that we come to feed on his body to become living members of his body. We're him. And so let me just take this out for a stroll. If someone persecutes any of us, they persecute the body, all of us. If someone is showing some sort of like racist or violent or sexist or any kind of violence towards any of us, he's doing it to all of us. This is why it's so important that when any suffer or go through poverty or in hardship, we all suffer and we all pull together because we're one body with each other. So all of those old walls that we think have divided us, that by the way, we have built, they've all been turned over and crushed and done away with, not by, because we're like wise and we really love each other, but Christ has actually put them under his feet, crushed them, and now constituted a single body. Determined only by Jesus. And when anyone harms any of us, they harm, they harm Christ's own body and we're included. And so things like reconciliation with one another, if we've done harm to each other, that can be overcome because we're one body. We belong to each other. That's why things like Republican and Democrat are almost irrelevant in this room. Because we're one body. What party? Oh, I, I don't know. I belong to the living body of the incarnate Christ. Amen. You could write that on your ballot, right? <laughs> but what's your like policy on this or that? Or what should we do about this crisis here or there? Well, we should probably consult the body and not my political party first. You should probably read the Bible and say, Lord, what is your living body doing? And how do I participate? Oh, could, could you imagine a community haunted by the spirit to react and to live and not anything else. This is what it means, friends, that Christ is placed at your head, that we actually consult the head and see where it's going. What is a body without its head? Where is Jesus? Jesus, where are you? What are you doing? Help us to participate as living members of your body. Sorry, I'm preaching a little bit here. Way off notes. The Lord puts himself in our hands that we consume him, that we become his living body. And this, my friends, is the greatest gift that our neighborhood can receive. The presence of Christ's own body lived through his people. Let's prepare our hearts to come to this table to say, Lord, I hold nothing back from you. I'm a member of your body through baptism. And by the way, if you're not baptized, you should totally be baptized. Become a member of the living body for all the reasons I just preached about. And you are welcome to. And all Jesus invites you to is to repent and say, I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. I want to be a part of this body. And he will receive you. Come talk to me. Come talk to anybody. And they'll, they'll tell you how to, what to do next. But let's come to the table with hearts full of gratitude, knowing that God is preparing a way for us to be enlivened by his own body, that we would go into the world as his living body in our neighborhood. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.